Today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jake. Uh, I, I have the privilege of being part of the team here in East Vancouver. I want to say welcome. I feel a bit like when I invite someone over for dinner and I don't tell my wife, uh, and then they just show up. And so East Van, we have some guests coming, uh, tidy the bathroom, uh, clean up, because we have some hosting to do. It is so good to be with you, Kitsilano, and to worship with you. As Brant said, it really is a joy to be part of a network of neighborhood churches spread throughout the city in the fall into Surrey, uh, but really worshiping together, serving our one Lord Jesus Christ. And um, yeah, thanks for being here. We're, we're so glad to have you. If I can be very rude for a moment and only talk to East Vancouver... That's okay. Uh, East Van, our week of prayer and fasting, as Brant said, is coming up. And so, as he said, Monday, Tuesday, 8 and noon, Thursday, Friday, 8 and noon, downstairs, we're just going to be praying together. Uh, on our website right now is a daily prayer focus guide. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, each day will have its own sort of emphasis in prayer. I'd encourage you, whether you come to those times here or not, to be following along uh, in that daily prayer focus. You can find that on our website today, okay? Wednesday, join us at 6.30. It's going to be a great time. You have no excuse. Community group starts next week, and so everybody, looking forward to seeing you there at 6.30 this Wednesday, yeah? Yes. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we need you. Oh, you are so kind and so gracious. Lord, I ask that now by your spirit, you would prepare our hearts to hear your word, to respond in faith, and to run the race you have for us this year. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, well I confess this morning uh, that when it comes to the genre of, of New Year's sermons, because uh, that is a genre, uh, I am both wary and weary. I, I'm wary of them, to be honest with you, suspicious of them, a bit cynical around them, because here's what happens. And we had a friend over last night, and he said, Jake, are you going to give us like the pump-up speech tomorrow? And I said, no. No. What happens? We come, you know, January, and the pastor says, we can do it. Already I saw Christian Twitter is, is full of like, this is the year, right? This is the year. You can do it. This is the year. All good things are going to happen. This is the year. No bad things are going to happen, right? I'm, 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 I'm cynical of that. And, and honestly, like, I'm a bit weary as a result of that. I'm weary and weary. Because here's what happens. Having received the pep talk on the first Sunday of the year, we go out to conquer the world only to discover that we can't conquer ourselves, let alone our neighborhoods, let alone our city, let alone the world. And so by January 15th, we collapse in exhaustion, just trying to hold on for the rest of the year. And, and I suspect that these experiences of being wary and weary are not unique to me. Not unique to me. We set goals or resolutions, we miss them, and so we give up, exhausted and discouraged. Or maybe you're a statistical anomaly, 
and you do keep your resolutions, right? You, you, you buck the trend, you, you're doing it, but by May, the resolution has become upon you a burden. And your measure of doing well is your measure of keeping that resolution. And you have to do it, you have to do it, you have to do it, and it becomes a weight on you. Or, or maybe you're wise to all of this. You, you have some gray hairs or, or no hairs, right? And you resolve not to make any resolutions, right? You can't lose if you don't start. This vacillation, this up and down between resignation and, and resolution and resignation and, and resolution, I think is seen more broadly in our culture and our city's simultaneous embrace of both comfort culture and hustle culture, right? These predominant cultures in our city, comfort culture and hustle culture. I think you know what they are, but just in case you don't, comfort culture loves Netflix binging. Online gaming, hours of Candy Crush, scrolling Instagram reels, fantasy sports, self-indulgent Amazon sprees, foodie culture addiction, all comfy couch consolations to fill the meaning gap, right? Essentially, these authors say, this is consumerism in late modernity as a form of spiritual transcendence. Hustle culture, often reacting to what it sees as laziness in comfort culture, is more than simply working hard. Rather, these authors continue, it is the ideology of pursuing a future version of the self, tougher, harder, more successful, more complete, I should add more ripped, right? Through relentless self-improvement. And this sort of attitude is expressed, for example, in the proliferation of productivity books. Maybe you picked one up this last past week. And perhaps most viscerally in the fitness world ubiquity of jujitsu studios and CrossFit boxes. Now, of course, there is nothing wrong with working hard. I have a brother-in-law who runs a CrossFit box. There's nothing wrong with working out. And of course, there's nothing wrong with resting and enjoying God's good gifts. But for many of us, and I include me in this many, Life has become an exhausting roller coaster from resignation to resolution and resignation to resolution. And we're not sure if we can endure another ride in 2023. And if that's you this morning, what I want us to see in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 is that those aren't your only two options. What I want us to see is that life in Jesus frees us from the roller coaster of resignation and resolution to live a new kind of life, to have a new way of being. And to see this, I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, and there we'll find three exhortations, three exhortations very conveniently for us. Ready? Let us lay aside, let us run, and let us look. Let us lay aside, let us run, and let us look. And so Bible's open. Look with me. If you don't have a Bible at all, we have some at the back. Take it. Keep it. It's our gift to you, okay? So have it in front of you. We're going to read Hebrews 12, verse 1, the first little bit there. Point one. Let us lay aside. And the author of Hebrews writes, and we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. In 2023, we must, we, we have to, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
Now, this might surprise you, but Hebrews 12, believe it or not, comes after Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11, if you haven't read it, is, is an amazing chapter in the Bible. And if you need encouragement, let me commend it to you. But it's full of stories of, of people of faith following the Lord, not perfectly, but, but faithfully. Faithfully. Them running the race of life. See, the author of Hebrews in this running picture is drawing from this, this knowledge that the, that the readers would have of the Greco-Roman world where the athletic competitions would take place. And the runners back then knew not only should, should they be trim or lean, right, as we know now, but also they should be naked. Of course. <laughs> Nod your head, of, of course. See, see, see. They know like we know now. In fact, they don't need you know, next-gen spandex and wind tunnels to tell them this. The trimmer you are, the leaner you are, the faster you go. So they would run naked. They would compete that way. And before you begin stripping down, let's just remember, one, it's a metaphor. But two, the laying aside, the laying aside that the author is calling us to is actually much more difficult than just taking off clothes. Taking off a shoe what are we being called to lay aside in 2023? First, he says, let us lay aside every weight. The word weight here refers to things that hinder us or encumber us, are a hindrance to our Christian race. Unlike the weighted vest that sits in my storage closet unused right now, right, that builds muscle, these weights are, are altogether negative, and, and bad. They, they hold you back from running faithfully. They distract us. But notice that the author of Hebrews distinguishes these weights even from sin in our life. See, these things might not be inherently sinful. They could, yes, lead to sin, but they might not be inherently sinful. And what I mean is that as Christians, we ought to have a category for things, a certain group of things, that while not wrong, are also not helpful. As Christians, we should have a category for a certain group of things that, while not wrong, are not helpful in our running the Christian race. So, so for example, we saw in 1 Corinthians. Do you remember 1 Corinthians? We've been there for a bit now. We're going back again. Prepare yourself. In 1 Corinthians, we saw that we have this tremendous freedom and liberty in Christ. And how are we to use that freedom? How are we to use that liberty? To love God and to love others. Not to gratify the flesh. Not to do whatever we please. And, and so Paul turns a Corinthian quote on its head. He says, you say all things, right, are lawful for me. But, now I say to you, Paul says, not all things are helpful. Not all things are helpful. Do you hear that this morning, Christian? Not all things are helpful. What weights, what unhelpful things are you being asked to lay aside, to, to put down as we come into 2023? And I hesitate as I was working through this text to speak specifically here because pastorally, I don't want to place upon you a burden that the Spirit has not placed upon you. I don't want to put on you a conviction that the Spirit has not put upon you. So let me speak generally, okay? Generally speaking. Generally speaking, we are a people... I think this is true of both East Van and Kitsilano. We are people who derive our joy more from food and drink than we do from the Lord. Specifically speaking, I, I am one of them. 
Again, generally speaking, generally speaking, we are people who on average spend 21 hours a week streaming shows and funny cat videos and far, far less time reading our Bibles. Specifically speaking, I am one of those people. And by the way, to that point on Bible reading, uh, the number one predictor of your spiritual health this year will be the regular practice of, of Bible reading. It's a stat show, study show. Friends, these things, and maybe other things, are preventing you from joyously running the Christian race with endurance that's here. They might not be sin, but they are weights nonetheless. And Jesus says, get rid of them. Get rid of them. He doesn't say play with them. He doesn't say flirt with them. He says, get rid of them. Get rid of them. But if we can speak perhaps more honestly, what trips me up most of the time is not these weights, these unhelpful things, though that is true, but it's also sin. It's just sin. Second thing, the second thing we're being called to lay aside in 2023 is that sin which clings so closely. What a descriptor, eh? That sin which clings so closely. The picture is, uh, you know, you jump in the water with all your clothes on. And suddenly your clothes are like stuck to you, right? And, and, and you're, they're heavy. Or, or maybe it's something over your face. A toque has fallen down and your eyes are covered. You, you can't see the hope of what's ahead of you. You can't see those you're running with. It's just the sin which clings so closely and overwhelms you and discourages you, oppresses you, dominates you. The, the sin which clings so closely. And the author of Hebrews says, lay it aside. Put it down. In Romans, Paul prefers the language of casting off the works of darkness. In Ephesians, he talks about putting off the old self, putting away falsehood. James, not as polite as Paul, uh, puts it much more bluntly. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Love James. Whichever verbiage you prefer... The call is the same. Lay down sin and do not pick it up again. Do not pick it up again. At this point, if you're steeped in hustle culture, you bought the latest David Goggins book, you're doing crunches, you're watching Marines tell you how to live your life, and you're steeped in hustle culture, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right? Just swap out. Just swap out um, more successful with less sinful. Just swap out more ripped with, with more holy, right? It just sounds like hustle culture, doesn't it? And if the Christian race is just a more boring version of the rat race, why should I ever toe the line? Why should I ever run at all? And to show you why, I want us to come to our second point. Point two, let us run. Again, the author of Hebrews writes, and we read this time the full verse in verse one. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What separates the Christian life or the Christian race from, from the hustle culture of our day and age is not that we run, is not that we work, but, but how we run and how we work. Notice, the author begins the chapter, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of 
witnesses. See, in our Christian life, he wants us to see we are to look back at those who have gone before and from them, from those previous runners, we are to learn to run. We are to watch how they run. Well, what are they saying to us? First thing's this. They say to us, let us run with faith. Let us run with faith. See, by faith we're told, if we look at Hebrews 11, Abraham left the comfort of his home to dwell in tents in a foreign place. By faith we're told that Moses rejected the pleasures and the delights of the palace and instead chose to be oppressed and marginalized with his people. But by faith we're told Rahab, Rahab the prostitute, the the outsider, welcomed God's servants, was hospitable to them in the face of great danger. For these and so many others, I'd encourage you, again, read Hebrews 11. Faith was not this blind and unthinking allegiance, but faith, what was based on, what was rested in, what, what was founded upon God's character, who he was, who he had revealed himself to be. And do you need to see God again this morning, Christ City? I do. Who God was for Abraham, for Sarah, for Moses, for Rahab, for David, for millions of others. All gifted with faith that sustained them through disorientation. Faith that gave them great hope in the midst of the impossible. Faith that remained even after disappointment. Faith they died with having not seen realized. Again, faith that we might have forgotten about. See, the problem with hustle culture, for all the good it's done, the the problem, the insidious seed of hustle culture is that it lives and dies with you. You are the main character in that story. You are the protagonist. You are the hero. And if hustle culture has a slogan, it would be that stanza from the poem Invictus. Maybe you like it. I'm about to ruin it for you because I hate it. The author writes, what does he say? Do you remember? It matters not how straight the gate, right? How charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And we say, yes. Our age says yes. Our city says yes. But that means when failure comes, and failure is coming in 2023. Let me just, spoiler alert. But when failure comes, On whom does the full weight of it fall? You. And when you've fallen off the resolution wagon for the 20th time, and you're deep in resignation, can you muster enough strength to pull yourself up once more? That's hustle culture. That's the promise of this age. But running by faith, however, says, my my meaning and my purpose this year are secure. Before I began to run, uh, one has run the race before me. In fact, Jesus, yes, but also thousands and millions of other faithful followers have run this race before me. Whatever successes, successes and failures I might experience, this year I win because Jesus won. See, faith says I might never reach my optimized self, whatever that is. But, but God seems quite keen to use broken and weak and messy people. Praise God. Faith says, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not even longing for this city. I'm waiting for an eternal city, a city to come. Faith says, my hope is not in getting a piece of real estate here and now. 
Because there is real estate waiting for me in heaven that, that can't be taken, that no inflation can touch. Faith says all this, not because we're blind or naive or silly, but because God has done this. Do you need to hear that this morning, Christ City? Hey, hear me, I'm preaching to myself. The gift of faith is the gift of being decentered from our own stories. It's being swept up in a story that in Jesus we get to be a part of. Where Jesus is the hero, where Jesus is faithful, where Jesus is our good shepherd who cares for his little sheep. And the great unified cloud of witnesses shouts to us from the bleachers, right? Run with faith. Run with faith. Hear Moses. Hear Abraham. Hear David. Hear Rahab. They're shouting at you, Christ City. Run with faith. Run with faith. They'd have us also see, this is the second thing, that we should run together. We should run together. Later in Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews uh, picks up once more on this running theme. And he elaborates. He writes this. He says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. So the metaphor has evolved now. It's expanded. It's grown. Now we are pictured not running alone, but in the words of one author, we are to make sure as much as humanly possible that no one else fails. We are running with other people. We are running as a church together that no one else fails. Make sure, he's saying, no one else falls short. Grab your brothers and sisters and keep them running with you. And this means we don't leave them behind. We pray for one another and support one another. If we are to run well, we must run by faith and we must run together. One of my favorite movies of, of this past decade, and maybe it's older than that, so that could be wrong, is the movie uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Did you see that? Yeah. It's about a, a guy, a guy named Desmond Doss. He's a young man drafted into World War II, but, but he refuses to pick up arms to, to shoot a weapon because he's a pacifist. It's actually a Seventh-day Adventist. And so he finds himself at the Battle of Okinawa at the tail end of the war. And the Americans are taking this ridge and, and the Japanese uh, surprise them with a counterattack. And, and they're ambushed on this ridge. And the American soldiers by the droves begin to flee off of this ridge to get out of that ambush. But, but Desmond Doss remains. And, and the picture on the poster of the movie is of him carrying a man over his shoulders. In real life, not in a movie, Desmond Doss saved 75 people that day without firing a single shot, as he carried them over the ridge, down that steep hill. And you might think I'm being dramatic or hyperbolic comparing this to the Christian life, but I can think of a few better examples of what it means to run this race together. It is not only the duty of your elders, but the duty of every Christian here to ensure that no one falls behind under the weight of sin. That is our duty to one another, to the person to your left and to the person to the right, to the person in front of you and the person behind you, 
Our duty is to ensure they do not fall behind under the weight of sin. It is our duty to speak the hard, uncomfortable word to the brother or sister who, like Esau, is driven by their lusts, is captive to their desires. That's our duty. It's not optional. It is our duty to have an eye, not just to others' external actions, but to deep, lingering things of the heart that have taken root. Did you notice that in verses 14 to 16? Verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness. That's a person. It's not a spirit. It's not an obscure thing. That's a person in a community who's become in their heart engulfed by bitterness. And it's our job to ask not just superficial questions of one another, but heart questions. Questions we can only get at if we spend hours together over meals. Building communities of trust. That's our our duty to one another. It's our duty to sacrificially give of our time, our home, our energy, our money, so that others might be saved. And so again, Jude is not speaking hyperbolically when he says that we ought to save others by snatching them out of the fire. That's what Jude says. We ought to run together. See, comfort culture tells us that meaning, the the best life, the good life, is found in pleasing ourselves, in gratifying our our moment-by-moment desire, the seeing to our own needs, whatever the cost. But by every measure, whether you're a Christian or not, but by every measure, it is safe to say that endless scrolling and streaming and self-indulgence have failed to fill the meaning gap. Failed. Yet life becomes incredibly rich. And some of you know this. Life becomes incredibly rich as we begin to look not first to our own needs and our own desires, but the needs of our fellow runners. And together, as we look to Jesus. This is the third point. Let us look. Now, the first two points are important. The first two points, in fact, are are really important. But without this third point, without looking to Jesus, we can do away with the previous two. And so listen up. If in 2023 we are to run with endurance, the race that is set before us, it all depends on where we are looking, on, on whom we are looking at. I'm reminded as uh, Grouse Mountain turns on its lights, as the ski season begins and people, you know, go flying down the hill. I'm, I'm reminded when I began to learn to ski. And you know this if you ever learned to ski before, but you go where you're looking, right? And I would look at other skiers. <laughs> terrified they would hit me. And they were terrified of this, this guy doing this thing all the way down the hill the whole way, right? Or poles. And I spent the first season of skiing just, just hitting things. So I, I would look at them because I, I would go that way. Where you look is, is where you go. This is not just true of skiing. It's true of driving. It's true of every motion-based activity. Where you look is where you go. The same principle is true in our Christian life. Who you look at is who you become. Who you spend time with is who you begin to sound like and think like and act like. See, progression is not a matter, growth is not a matter of self-obsession or self-improvement, but of being obsessed with Christ, of looking to Christ, And throughout the years, good pastors have always known this. 
Robert Murray McShane, he famously wrote this. For everyone, look at yourself. Take ten looks at Christ. John Newton, once responding to a group of women who wrote him about how to grow in Christ. How do we grow in Christ this year? He said this. He said, a single view of Christ will do you more good than pouring over your own wounds for a month. Ooh, that's a word for our age. A single view of Christ will do you more good than pouring over your own wounds for a month. And the good news is, Jesus isn't hiding. He's not hiding. He is actively seeking us out. And you'll find him each time you open your Bible and meditate on Scripture. You'll find him each time you leave the office after that stressful meeting where you're tempted to sin and you go for a prayer walk around the plaza. You'll find him each time the church gathers on Sunday and throughout the week. He's looking for you. He's not hiding. He's not obscuring himself. He is waiting. All you have to do is turn to him. And hear me clearly. I think this is an important nuance for us this morning. This is not a call to neglect the self entirely, to stop being curious as to why you do what you do or think what you think. No, only that the self must be considered after Christ. We can only see ourselves truly once we've seen who Christ truly is. See, when we look to Christ, we see this. The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Christ City, who endured from sinners, sinners like you and me, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Only when we see what's true about Jesus can we see and know and believe what's true about ourselves. Let me show you this. We read that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So where we stumble, Jesus' stride is flawless. He's perfect. You know, think about Eliud Kipchoge, the great marathon runner. He's got nothing on Jesus' stride. Where we are dragged down by our weights and sin, Jesus has run perfectly, run, run without them, and he's removed our weights. He's liberated us to run freely. And though once we had no hope of crossing the finishing line, Jesus' death in our place on the cross has removed all hurdles and roadblocks. Look to Jesus this year. Be with Jesus. Know Jesus. We read that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When sin, when sin clings so closely, we struggle to see beyond our current hardship. It blinds us to the hope of God's promises. But, but Jesus counted the shame of the cross a little thing, a small thing, even an insignificant thing in view of his subsequent exaltation to the right hand of God. So now you and I, full of Jesus' spirit, are encouraged to look beyond our present difficulties to God's promises and rewards. Preach them to yourself. Remind yourself what, what he has in store for you of all that he's promised you. Look to Jesus. We read that Jesus endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why did he do this? 
But why did Jesus go through it all? Christian, hear these words this morning. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That same Jesus who endured shame and hostility, who did not give up, it is the same one praying for you and me right now. He's praying for us right now. He's praying for us. He's giving us his spirit. He's giving us all of himself that we might be found faithful this year. He's left us with nothing. That's wrong. He's left us with everything. See, do you see how the good news of Jesus alone fills the meaning gap in our life that both comfort and hustle culture fail to fill? Did you see how Jesus liberates us from the roller coaster of resignation and resolution? In a word, all we're talking about this morning, all we're talking about when it comes to 2023, is having a living relationship with Jesus, is being with Jesus. And when we're with Jesus, what worldly comfort compares, especially in moments when we truly need it? And when we're with Jesus, what more is there to be earned? What more is there to be earned? Jesus frees us from our idolatrous cultural trends. He frees us from the roller coaster of resignation and resolution. He does all this as you say yes, yes this year as Brant read for us, to his invitation to abide with him, to lay aside every weight and sin, to run with faith and with the whole body of Christ, and to choose to consider him who is day by day becoming our joy, your joy and delight. Let's pray. So Jesus, help us to run this year. Help us to see ourselves not of, uh, as the center of our own stories, our own races, but as faithful pro- pilgrims on, on a well-worn path. Thank you, Jesus, that you ran that path first, and that you made a way for us, that we could follow you. We thank you that you have not left us alone, that you filled us with your spirit, that you intercede for us now, and that you've given us your church. Help us to know you and walk with you this year, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.